Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 239, where we interview Stephanie Warner and talk about side hustles and creating new opportunities. I was living paycheck to paycheck because if I had another, if I had an extra $800 before the pay cycle, I would pay by, you know, at the time I had a car payment or I would, you know, pay my mortgage in advance or all my bills or my insurance. Um, I would just, you know, put it towards something so I wouldn't spend it. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And joining me today as guest host is Joe Salcihai from the Stacking Benjamins podcast. From time to time, Scott is unavailable to record. And rather than miss a week, I'm calling on all my smart friends to fill in for him. However, none of them were available. So I called Joe. I am sitting right here, Mindy. I'm, I'm right here. You see me? <laughs> oh, hi, Joe. I do oh, see you hey. now. Welcome. Good seeing you. How are you? I am doing good. How are you doing, Joe? I'm so excited to have you today. I love to give Joe a hard time. Joe is one of the smartest guys I know, and he was at the top of my list of people to record when Scott couldn't make it. So, Joe, I'm so delighted that you could join me today. I'm entirely happy to be here, and I'm going to be a horrible Scott Trench, but I'll do my best. (laughs) You were horrible with the puns. Nobody is as good as Scott Trench with the puns. Ninja. that's what that's what made this episode so enjoyable. None of those sneaky little weird puns that he always slips in there. Okay, today Joe and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. So whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business, we'll help you build a position capable of getting money out of the way and launching yourself toward your dreams. Today, we are joined by Stephanie, and Stephanie is a side hustler extraordinaire. She really has that uh, dialed down. I don't think there's anything she won't do. Uh, Ooh, that doesn't sound right. I think that Stephanie will try anything once. Does that sound better? No, still not there. (laughs) She does dog sitting. She does house sitting. There's... How do, how do I say this? Because I'm trying to be complimentary because I think it's awesome. There's nothing that she's like, oh, I'm too good for that. She doesn't have that kind of attitude. And I think that's a big, that's the big powerful thing that we're about to hear here, Mindy, is the fact that that I think with all of us, there are opportunities all around us. And the one thing I love about Stephanie's story is she was willing to try out those opportunities and see if they work. And I know so often I see people that go, no, I don't think I'd be any good at that. And I think you have to give yourself a chance to try it out and see if you'd be good at it first. And certainly everything from dog sitting to wedding officiant to uh, renting her cars out, uh, selling her parking space, maybe not completely legally. She, she She's doing all kinds of things and has done all kinds of things to make money. Yeah, I think it's awesome. It's It says to her mentality, I'm not going to let myself be pigeonholed into just this one thing. I'm going to try it all and see what I like the best. And now she's a wedding officiant and she makes good money being a wedding officiant. I don't know that I would want to do that. I've worked with brides and sometimes they can get a little emotional. I think uh, I was a wedding DJ in college. I would rather work with brides than mothers of the brides any flipping day. I will give you that. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. The easiest way to collect rent? RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Stephanie Warner, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. You're you're one of my favorites. I feel Aww, a little starstruck you. and I have a little bit of a crush right now. Thank you. Well, very Joe much. is pretty cute, but he is married. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, Stephanie, I'm joining you in the crush. So there it is. Yeah, we Mindy, both have Mindy's a great. Big Mindy hug <sighs> well, going. Thank you. So so let's do 10 minutes of how great I am, and then we'll jump into Stephanie's story. <laughs> okay, Stephanie, where does your money story begin? You know, I have to start start off right off the bat is um, until very recently when I started um, really kind of fine-tuning my current savings and aggressively saving and kind of looking at the big picture. And that was also through um, listening to your podcast, among others, just a handful of others, that I realized that I'm really on a good track. And by dumb luck, I got to this place. And um, I felt like I grew up with very little, um, you know, we didn't talk about finances. We didn't, we didn't really, I didn't have much guidance, even though my father um, was in investing. My stepfather, um, who was my stepfather from age nine on, was the head of our local AG Edwards office. Um, I really think it comes down to the females in my life that taught me the most about finances, most notably my grandmother. She was a really cool lady. She had four kids. Um, We're from Southeast Louisiana, which is going through some hard times right now. But my grandmother was married to my grandfather, an engineer, and he was a super smart guy. But um, she always taught me the value of owning your property and driving cars that were simple. I think she drove, drove like a souped up Toyota Camry that she taught me how to drive on. But she told me, Stephanie, it's very important for you girls, because I'm one out of three, to always own the house over your head, live within your means. Um, She had three or four investment properties where she, um, at that time, it was advantageous to rent to own. um, She chose to rent to um, single mothers mostly. And I always, that stuck in my mind of she's giving back, but she's also 
having fun and this is allowing them to buy a sailboat down in the islands, travel the world, et cetera, et cetera. I grew up in a household where, um, again, we didn't talk about money, but um, it was evident that we were comfortable. I went to a small private school in Covington, Louisiana, and um, we had everything we needed, including a pool and um, frequent travel to Colorado, which my parents were addicted to. So um, I grew up all right. Um, you know, I babysat throughout li my lifetime. I realized that, you know, tax-free jobs, side hustles were a lot more fun. And, you know, it gave you access to really Gucci grocery, you know, grocery items in the refrigerator and you could go to places with the family. So I babysat. Um, let's see. I left for college. My, my mom wanted um, and my dad wanted us to go out of state for college. So my sister Jamie went off to Boulder, an expensive school. My sister Wendy went off to some art school in Santa Fe. And I chose to go to Charleston, to the College of Charleston, which, you know, is still reasonably priced, but I had to get creative with um, loans and grants and such. I had very little idea what I was doing, and there wasn't exactly um, a group at school that helped us with this. It was kind of blind luck that I came across after I was accepted, after I was set to leave and go to Charleston to start school that I found a loophole within the state of Louisiana offerings. They um, allowed me, they paid the difference between in and, in and out of state tuition for me to attend the College of Charleston if I chose marine biology because they didn't offer it in LSU in state, um, university, you know, state schools. So I could have gone to study um, international business, for instance, on the, um, the Gulf Coast, but I chose Charleston. I was racing sailboats at the time growing up, so I thought, you know, I like historic towns on the water with good food. So I went off to the College of Charleston. I worked full-time throughout college. All my friends had, you know, the new BMW every two years, and, you know, my boyfriend had an elevator in his house downtown, but, you know, I wouldn't say I was a country bumpkin because I raised, you know, I was raised with, you know, nice things, but I was definitely like the one that was working until eight o'clock at night and taking on side jobs, doing catering and stuff. But I was happy. Um, let's see, that was in state. So I had very minimal loans. I think I graduated only owing $14,000. I, um, I went off to Boston to work sight unseen. I think I saw it on Allie McBeal and I thought, wow, I wanna live in a big historic town on the water with good food. So that's kind of my life mantra. So I went up there and um, I started looking around at entry level jobs after college. Oh, I switched to corporate communications, by the way, because clearly I'm a talker and I had no other direction. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do, but after two Welcome years- Welcome to the of, club, Stephanie. Yeah, I just, I knew that I didn't want to go feed Shamu for like $10 an hour with my marine biology degree. So I switched to corporate communications headed up there with $280 in a moving van with some sucker friend that wanted to drive me all the way. And so um, I got up there and the best option for me was to get something called a headhunter. So I, my first job was working for Putnam Investments as an administrative assistant at the headquarters. Um, that was fun. I used to sneak into Larry Lassiter's bathroom and steal like, you know, the good candy, um, the good um, things. Um, I was just, you know, enjoying the city life. I then worked for Citizens Bank um, as their executive assistant to one of the high level people. And then 
I ended up kind of um, switching over to one of the largest ad agencies in Boston, Arnold Worldwide. We were doing really exciting things with Royal Caribbean and Volkswagen. There were a lot of perks. We were all poor, but we, um, you know, we had a lot of fun living downtown. Um, through that job, I, it made me realize that why would I want to work in the judges, like base salary working up in the ranks? Why don't I want to work straight for the CEO or a director so I can see what everything's, you know, everything that's happening within the organization. And I absolutely loved it. I worked for this just firecracker of a um, female who was the head of the PR department. Um, so I wasn't really going anywhere with my career, but I wasn't going backwards. And um, I was living downtown and having a really good time. After years there, I um, I decided to move back to Charleston. I got um, a house down there um, through a friend. I was going to go do sales for a friend's company. I bought a $900 Saab. Mind you, I have at that point, I had never owned my own vehicle. So there was no need to. I took the trolley um, when I lived in Charleston. I used friends' cars. So I lived within my means. Um, I took cabs. I shipped my stuff down to Charleston. This is right. This is a week before September 11th. My company in Boston said, Stephanie, we really want you to go to our McLean, Virginia office um, to interview for a job there. And I said, well, you know, you were at my going away party. I am heading to Charleston. So everything was packed. But um, I kind of met a hustler. So I said, if you really want me to interview for this job, that's fine. I need to go through D.C. anyway. But you need to put me up at the Ritz-Carlton in Tyson's Corner. <laughs> so I'm at the Ritz-Carlton seeing some friends eating the good pancakes. I interviewed for the job the week before September 11th. I took the job. Still living in the hotel. It was awesome. September 11th happened. And um, it was devastating for obvious reasons, but I'm kind of stuck in this town. It's not the North. It's not the South. My things are down in Charleston. Why didn't I live up to that commitment? So um, after like six months of awkwardly staying in D.C., um, I our, oh, our company was doing mass layoffs in that D, in that D.C. office because we we're travel centric. You know, Royal Caribbean was our big client and such. So I saw the writing on the wall. And this is when I learned a very, a second very important um, life um, lesson was the best time to negotiate perks is when you're leaving <laughs> or when oh. you're coming on. So I talked them into paying my um, moving costs to get me to Colorado because they had gotten me in this situation <laughs> for moving me from Boston to DC, sidetracked me, I was in hell. And so I had them pay to move me to Colorado, where that by that time, both my sisters, their husbands, my mother and all my aunts and uncles and cousins on one whole side of the family had started moving and had li were living. So that's what got me out in 2002 to Colorado, where I belonged. And so um, how am I doing on this? Did I enough coverage? Well, wait a second. <laughs> you moved to Colorado. We do not have water in Colorado. Uh so right. that's, you, you've changed your, your MO. You wanted to live in this big, beautiful city with that's great good, food good by point. the water and growing up, growing up, college, after college, DC still has water, right? Yeah, but it's just, it's so hot. 
There's nobody to date because they want to talk about politics. I just, it wasn't my cup of tea. I think it's really <laughs> strange that their crabs have the crab boil on the outside, which is not how we do it in Louisiana. It's like, ow, ow. It just, it, there's nothing right about it. I chose Colorado <laughs> to be close to my family because that's what was important. I hadn't lived near any of them since when I got out of high school. So I only saw them once or twice a year when I traveled to Colorado to or back home to Louisiana to see my dad. But Colorado, um, I looked at Boulder. I looked at um, Durango. I lived there for five weeks during the fires. I decided to get my first passport, take a three-month job in Indonesia. So I went to Indonesia. And um, while I was there collecting unemployment, I was checking um, job um you know, the, the open jobs in gorgeous Telluride, Colorado. So I was hired over the telephone to work um, as an office manager for my friends, my now cl very close friends ski shop. They had just expanded to like five or six ski shops. Really nice people. They're my heart. So I started, I just moved to Telluride after my little sabbatical in Bali. And I stayed in Telluride from 2002 until 2008. And that's when I really learned the art of side hustles. I, um, I took, I was lucky enough to find jobs there that were year round with shoulder seasons that I could do other things like, you know, take on jobs at Telluride Film Festival or Mountain Film. Um, I did this thing, it was a secret shopping manager where I set up people to go into ski shops and retail establishments and, you know, get their ski tuned and write about it. I, I was bringing in extra, you know, three or $400 a week doing that. And that was purely like a very simple job. I house and dog sat people's homes for like $80 a night. It was ridiculous. I just, um, I got really scrappy and I had to because Telluride was very expensive to live in. But, you know, I did everything from, I was a dental assistant to I was a HOA manager. Um, I did a lot of interesting things and it gave me, um, it gave me a good um, kind of, it gave me a good, like I opened my eyes to all these different industries that you could go into. My last job there, I was a public affairs person for the town of Telluride, which meant I was the complaint department. And through that position, I learned um, a lot about, you know, business owners, residents, visitors, and how it all comes together to make a utopia. I got laid off, which was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I got laid off with nine full-time employment employees when the real estate market crashed. During that time, I had just bought, a year prior, I had bought a deed-restricted condo in town. I think I was 28. That was awesome. I owned it for two years. Um, it was one of those, you know, deed-restricted where it was subsidized by the town I did. It was um, it was a program that I still I'm very thankful to this day um, through the, you know, through the housing authority there. They um, they help you with down payment assistance, zero percent um, interest for 10 years. I think I had ten thousand dollars. I got a twenty five hundred dollar grant through the Association of Realtors. Um, it's purely to get people who work in that school um, district. Um, locals that don't have huge trust funds or other holdings, it allowed us to get into um, housing and stay locally. So I lived on Main Street. I'm still thankful. I had a really cute 
one bedroom place. I was on the HOA board. I really learned how it all worked. Um, I think my mortgage was nine oh nine a month. I mean, that's that's a lot when I look back at it because I was twenty eight. But but it's I nothing my for tell you car space out for three hundred dollars a month to some fly fisherman who wanted to put his FJ in there. So I was kind of hustling in that aspect. I had some side projects that were, um, you know, under the table type of things that helped the community. Um, again, house sitting, dog sitting. I would do anything just to kind of supplement my income because I was working for, a ta- you know, as a town staff employee. And I think that I looked at my social security statement the other day and I think I was making 38 or 41 in that job. So um, before we, I decided that I was before we, Stephanie, before we move on to the next stage, I think Mindy and I both have 5 million questions about the stuff that (laughs) you covered so far. And I really don't want to miss this opportunity for our listeners to get some of the big ahas that you shared. Cause man, I heard about 50 of them, which, and, and I also have some things that I wonder about and I'd love for you to clarify for us, but I want to go all the way back to the beginning first, if you don't mind. And, and and ask about this. It's just curious to me that your, your dad is in the business of finance, works it all day long, every day. And yet in your family, you didn't really talk about money. Now, my family didn't talk about money either, but my dad worked for General Motors. My mom worked for Upjohn. That's now Pfizer. And uh, while they made plenty of money, they it, it just it was impolite to talk about money. They weren't from a money family. Mm. I remember every single time that my brother, sister, I would walk in the room, they'd tell us to leave if they were in the middle of a money discussion like that. You just didn't do it. So I find it weird that the women in your family talked about money, but you and your dad never did. Why is that? I, You know, it's a good question. I mean, maybe I was just um, at the age. I mean, my parents divorced when I was nine and I was the youngest of three. So everybody was busy. My dad, um, I don't know. He... Um, he traveled a little bit, but he was more um, in this family business and finance. It wasn't until my stepdad was a part of our lives that he was the one that was very young. Um, you know, he got a series six and series seven, like maybe one of the first people in his age bracket to get it very early on. He didn't talk about finances per se, but he showed me the value of working for things. And, you know, I kind of brushed over that. My stepdad, Ed, who's now passed, he um, he showed me the good life. We had an airplane, which he reminded me was not a big thing since it was a private. It was a small airplane, a Cessna, which he equated to. It's a Mazda 626 of the sky stuff. So don't get a big head. Um, we would fly to the nearby town and go to Chili's because they had good chips and salsa. So we weren't jet setting to like Texas to go shopping at the Galleria. But he also would buy Porsches and Mercedes and have them, you know, on our property and work on them. He'd buy them at um, like auction. So he always showed me what was good and achievable. And you didn't have to pay a lot of money and have like loans and such. But at the same time, he made me armor all the wheels and like wash the cars all the time. And he had for the teenage girls this heinous looking. um, It was like a. Le Sabre with Bondo paint on it. It was like a super <laughs> embarrassing vehicle so that we didn't want to drive it. And we wanted to like do more with our lives. Um, I would like to say my father now, my, my, you know, my father, father, 
He and I talk twice a week. He is so proud of me, my financial journey. And now that I'm older, he shares knowledge and uh. he, he's a good, he's a good egg, but he just didn't talk to a nine-year-old about it. Sure. I didn't have like, I didn't have to work towards things to get an allowance. We didn't do allowance ever, but yeah. I don't know the women, you know, we naturally talk more. And, um, I was really close to my mom, which I still am. She lives now in my town and my grandmother. And they, um, they talked about finances. Well, I love that they talked about finances because that is really what, I mean, if they hadn't, where would you be? Your dad wasn't sharing this. And I don't mean to say that like, oh, your dad didn't talk to you about money, but you know, somebody needs to talk to kids about money. And I think a nine-year-old is perfectly capable of learning about money. I mean, it's got to be, you know, age-specific conversations, but my kids are always, I mean, now they're to the point, mom, we don't care. Well, I bet. Bad. you're going to listen to it anyway. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, they teach, my parents taught me a lot by buying books and we didn't have any finance books laying around. We had a bunch of books on like puberty and our bodies and <laughs> that sort of thing. So I'm an expert on, you know, menstruation, but yeah, I didn't get anything. Um, I didn't get any, I had no clue how it all worked. I mean, I had a library card and a checking account, but I didn't know about compacting, compounding interest and None of that. The other story I like, uh, well, I liked a lot of your story, but 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 uh, but early on, the fact that um, and I don't remember which family member it was, but that would would rent rooms, but to single women um, and had this passion around helping single women. Was that your grandmother? My grandmother. Yes. Yeah. She was not a single mother, but I think she had some free time. And what our I, town. Yeah. yeah. What I loved about that story is that I think that, you know, when people, Mindy, think about ESG investing, right? They think about these really technical things that you do that are these big world changing things. And for a lot of us, that stuff, helping in your hometown, the people that you care about and the people that you re really want to help, that to me is every bit as much ESG investing as anything else. So I think that that if you if you are passionate about something like your grandmother clearly was, she was still able to make the money that she wanted to make. She still clearly made a profit. She was able to afford things and 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 her her way of living. But she did it on her terms, which I think is pretty badass. Yeah, um, Betty was a badass. <laughs> they were they were homes that weren't in the nicer neighborhoods. But um, I remember one was by our high school and she knew that that was a good market. And um, it was a nice trailer park trailer. And she rented it to like the most popular girl in our high school um, to her mother, who was, you know, there weren't a lot of divorces back then. But I remember that my grandmother would never let them think they were just renters. It was all about this is your home. Can we come in to, you know, do this, fix this? This is your home. You're paying into it. And I don't know how she did it through the bank, but it all worked out because I remember when they cashed out the three or four houses that they owned um, and sold them to the, the, um, to the renters. It was a, it was a big thing in my family and I was really proud of them. And that's what they bought a sailboat and started just traveling everywhere. It was cool. I think that's awesome. I think you absolutely can invest in real estate and better your community and also help out your tenants. I don't think it has to be this contentious relationship between landlords and tenants. And I think you get a better, I mean, I so many caveats to this, like don't go with your gut when you're renting to somebody, you don't go with your gut when you're, you know, screening your tenants. But again, in a smaller town, you're going to know who these people are. You're going to know that 
Joe Salcihai is going to be a really great tenant or Joe is going to be a terrible tenant. No, Joe would be a great tenant because he treats property wonderfully and has hit a bad spell. We know he's going to be a great tenant. You don't really have to, you know, do the do the background checks and all of that because you already know him as a person. Um, well, I love this phrase, Mindy. There's there. You can do well and do good. Right. Yes. Um, do well for yourself and do good for your community. They don't have to be uh, separate things. And people that think that they are like, I still hear people say this myth that ESG investing or socially responsible investing or whatever you've got that, that the returns aren't there. Not true. 10 years ago, totally true. Today, not not true at all. Uh, uh, Mindy, you had some questions about college, though, I know. Yeah. So you sound it sounds like, Stephanie, you graduated college with fourteen thousand dollars in student loan debt, approximately. Was it all student loan debt, credit card debt? No, I had some credit cards, but they were like little, you know, stores and stuff. And I never knew how to use them properly. Um, I'm sure that they were 18%. I used them, I ran them up to, you know, a thousand or $2,000. It was never like, it was never, you know, holding me down. But I didn't know then that it was just a stupid thing to do. I wasn't really big on credit cards. I just also wasn't a big spender. Um, I remember being in Boston and having this nice um, apartment with my um, roommate and, you know, us working hard. But I remember getting down to like a dollar eighty-five in my bank account and deciding whether or not I wanted to buy, you know, a tea pass or buy some eggs. And I mean, I got by. It was never like a huge thing. I didn't need to call my parents to get bailed out. But I definitely wasn't socking money away. I was working at, you know, Putnam Investments at times and realizing, you know, that there's all these investment choices. I was working in the defined benefits, defined contribution area realm, doing PowerPoint demonstrations. And they would always talk about, you know, investing. But I just never did it. I didn't think I had any money. But um, let's see. Would you do that different? Would you would you change anything there today? Well, yeah, because it sounds to me like well, because it sounds to me like you didn't have any money. Can I uh, quote from Albert Einstein real quickly? Yes, from this personal finance book. It's compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. Albert Einstein said that. I had no clue about compounding interest, but I mean. I'm here. I learned my lesson 13 or 15 years ago. I started saving and now I'm in a good point. I saved 30 percent of my take home and my W-2 job and I live a cheap life and everything's kosher. I'm hoping to retire sooner than later. This is and we don't spend a lot of time here, but I also worked on the other side. I was a financial planner for 16 years, Stephanie. And it's funny because you'd see people on that side. You were at Putnam Investments. You were at uh, in in with a uh, working at a bank. Um, what I what I often noticed that surprised a lot of me, and I don't know if it was the same in Boston. Some of the most irresponsible people I ever met with money were people that worked that should have known better. Like I thought that, you know, working at Putnam Investments that you would have probably seen all these great examples of people and whatever. If I didn't work on the inside myself, I bet you saw some people that were horribly sloppy with money. I I don't know where they were at because we never discussed it. I ended my day at five and, you know, I was off the clubs and the bars and the the islands and (laughs) jetting around talking to people who were not in the financial realm. And then I got into the creative realm. And um, that's when I was working for. You know, great ad agency. But again, I was not saving for my retirement. I wasn't when, creating long-term debt. When did you have that pivot? 
the pivot of, you know what, something's got to change. I got to start putting money away for the future. Um, I think it was when I actually had some extra money. So after September 11th, when I moved across the country into um, Telluride, I started um, I started saving when I, you know, I always had jobs there that offered benefits. So I wasn't, you know, going without health insurance. I was lucky, but I didn't want to have to leave Telluride, um, you know, perfect ski area. Um, I lived right around the corner from the lifts and I got to ski like 47 days a year and work. I think that's what I started realizing that, you know, my parents don't have some huge trust fund coming my way. Um, I need to start making it. I don't want to be a renter. I bought that, you know, studio apartment, condo, and then I started saving actively to get out of there and to get onto the open market. And that's when I joined forces with a boyfriend. I mean, we had hardly dated for seven months. I thought maybe um, we weren't in love, but we bought an investment house in nearby Norwood and um, we bought it at the height and we worked on it because it had an open building permit to be able to close the, you know, to buy the house. We moved in, we started working on it. He was an electrician with a trust fund that grew up in Telluride. So um, he was clueless with money. I had saved money. We had this house for 10 years and I think I walked, um, we sold it three years ago after just, you know, creating cheap rent for a bunch of electricians over the years. But um, I think I made maybe like four or $5,000 off of it. But at that time I started working for the company I'm with now um, I've been with my company right now, my full-time job for 13 years. And that's when I had the extra money. I was like, whoa, I'm good at sales. And my company had all of these benefits. And I just started saving as much as humanly possible. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? Rent app, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split, with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. So before you moved to Colorado, what was your financial position? You had been laid off from your job. You saw the writing on the wall. You were, you said, okay, I want you to move me to Colorado. What was your uh, investment total, your debt load? You know, um, I didn't have anything other than a little bit of jewelry. My $900 Saab I had bought to move in had died on the highway. (laughs) So I sold that for scrap metal. I didn't have any debt because I've never been comfortable having credit cards. I really didn't have anything then. Um, I only had unemployment checks coming, so I knew that that was gonna run out. Um, I kind of still wanted to take a little time off to decompress from living in that godforsaken town. So that's why I took the job in Indonesia, which was like a free vacation. I think I made $5 a week. I was living on the beach and working Monday through Saturday there. Um, I don't know, I think that um, I had nothing. I, it was stupid. I, I brought some tacky furniture all the way across the country in a moving van just because I had talked them into paying for my moving expenses. But I, I had nothing. So my mom, actually, when I got to Colorado, because she didn't want me driving some, you know, death box, she helped me buy a 98 Subaru Impreza Sport Outback. To this day, my favorite car I ever had. And I had paid her, you know, no interest for this car that I bought. But... um yeah, I mean, that's really where things began, but I began from a place of not having debt. That, oh, oh, I love that. A beginning from a place of not having debt is huge. It doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter how old you are as long as you don't have debt. Not having debt when you start off your journey is enormous or getting rid of the debt as soon as you possibly can so you can start building your wealth is Enormous. So you have so, more options. Yeah. So you yeah. you moved to Telluride. You bought this subsidized condo, and 
Can we talk about what that means exactly? I'm assuming that it, or the deed restricted condo, that means that you can't sell it on the open market to just anybody, right? You have to sell it. Correct. It's uh, it's limited in the amount of appreciation it can realize Yes, as I think well. it was 5%. Okay. And I got around that because I read the, the docs and I realized that if you did certain improvements that were green, like I put in, you know, certain flooring and stuff, I could get a little bit more on that. Of course, I was illegally renting the car space for 300 a month. So that was helping me kind of save for the down payment on the next house. I sold it to a local. You have to sell it to someone who goes through the housing authority, meets all their criteria. And um, so they kind of give you a list of pretty much who you can sell to. Or you put it out there and they have to go through the housing authority to apply and be accepted. And so, but the, the price that I could sell it at was kind of set in stone. Now, thank God I sold that house and got something on the open market because once I lost my job with the town of Telluride, I, I couldn't stay around Telluride when people are losing jobs. And, you know, you ha- to live in that condo, I had to work there. So I wanted better options. And that's when... I moved out to the house, you know, the rental house. We were working on the house. We were growing squash, watching a lot of CSI from the library. And that's when (laughs) I looked around for jobs and it took me three months to get hired by the company that I work for now. The company that I work for now, honestly, I look back, they're the direct reason why I've amassed, you know, close to $250,000 in savings and own two houses and two homes and they just, they believed in me. I don't know. I just, I'm very thankful for them. They appreciate continuing education. I think I told you, but they're paying 100% of my MBA, which I start next month to get it uh-huh. at home. They're doing that for all of the employees, all full-time employees to get their GED undergraduate or MBA. And um, they also have such great offerings, finances. Um, I can buy our stock at 15% discount. And they, um, you know, I think it's, it's, I think it's nice of you to say that it was them, but I don't, but I don't think it was them. And, and, <laughs> and don't get, no, don't get me wrong. I mean, I feel like they have great benefits and you work with people that believe in you. I think that's great. But over the years, when I was counseling people with their money, Stephanie, I'd see so many people with those same great jobs and those same opportunities, and they never took advantage of them. They never made anything of them. And I feel like after just hearing your story, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like after the moving around that you did about this, after the struggling you did, you saw that opportunity in front of you and you really took advantage of it. So I think it, I think it was a combo. I think it was them being the right company, but you also being the person that could hear the message and respond. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I do agree with you. Well, because he's right. It, it is. It's so <laughs> empowering, I think, for people to realize that any benefit that your company gives you, if you can take advantage of that, that's absolutely fabulous. Because even if that stock, if, if, if the stock of the company you, you uh, are in, if their employee stock purchase plan does zero, meaning the stock does zero, you're still going to get 15%. Like that's absolutely fantastic. Right. That's a that's an amazing deal. I use it kind of as a savings account if I know I'm going to need, you know, $4,000 to build a deck on one of the houses or something. I use that and then I sell it every year, which is probably not. I just keep, hold on to it. But I've always bought 2% of that. You still are a hustler. I am a hustler. Yes. And, and what's funny is you just talked about your company and how they believe in you and how you, you know, you use all these benefits. Mm-hmm. It, 
I'm getting the feeling that you don't need to hustle anymore like you did, but you still are. Like, where's the hustle come from? What's the drive? Where is this headed? Like, you know, I talk a lot about beginning with the end in mind, right? So what's what's Stephanie's dream? Like, where are you where are you going? Well, um, you know, prior to the worldwide pandemic, which was unfortunate, I was living paycheck to paycheck, even though I'm saving a ton of money. I, um, I was living paycheck to paycheck. Cause if I had another, if I had an extra $800 before the pay cycle, I would pay my, you know, at the time I had a car payment or I would, you know, pay my mortgage in advance or all my bills or my insurance. Um, I would just, you know, put it towards something so I wouldn't spend it. But I also, um, I kind of have this personality where, um, I'm kind of neurotic and I love having apps on my phone because I'm like, Ooh, I can buy, I can put that in my money market account or right now I'm buying Bitcoin. So I'm like, Ooh, I have a $200 extra. I'm going to buy some Bitcoin or, um, just paying off debt, like my credit cards, which I love air miles. I pay off my credit card every three days, but, um, I don't know if Mindy told you or you saw my, um, story. I wrote it all out. Um, but I wanted to not live paycheck to paycheck, even though I'm making six figures in my primary job. I wanted that to be untouched in case it ever went away. So I started six years ago, a wedding officiant business, and um, it's really taken off. I do about 28 jobs a year in Telluride mostly. So I went from working for someone else and um, getting paid three, 350, per wedding to now I command 550 to $600 to show up. There's some, you know, Zoom calls involved. There's a little bit of kissing bud and, you know, phone calls and email exchanges, but I really value my time. So um, I go by the whole premise of, I don't need any practice doing weddings at high alt, you know, high altitude. If it's not um, a good fit for me and for the couple, I don't take the job. You know, so um, that was a good um, that was a good lesson that I use across all my jobs is I don't need any practice doing this. So if it's not, you know, if it's not paying me for my time, then it's a hobby. And I really love my hobby. So um, anyway, I do that. And then I started because of you guys, I started renting both of my vehicles, which are paid for on Toro. I joined at the end of July. And in just August, I think my numbers, um, I made $6,000 to date. And I even wow. was in Croatia for two months of August. Wow. I get $180 per day for my Tacoma, my Toyota Tacoma, which is a 2014. And I charge an extra $60 to drop it at the airport, which is less than two miles away from my home. So my market, don't tell anybody, anybody out there, my market's <laughs> excellent because I live by the airport. I don't need my cars. I can ride my bike to Pilates, but um, yeah, it is blown up. So every week I'm getting, you know, nine to a thousand dollars and meeting some incredible people. There's the nicest couple on the planet that have rented my Tacoma this week. And they're sending me pictures of, you know, being in Moab and hiking snuffles yesterday. So I just... I took a leap of faith. Not many people can emotionally detach themselves from their vehicles, but I drive my vehicles harder than anybody else. And there's insurance for a reason. So Toro has been awesome. 
I, because of Toro and because of the wedding business, I socked, I'm now up to $15,000 emergency fund, which I did not have four months ago. And I'm, you know, socking away extra, but um, I don't know. I just, I like, I don't know where the scrappiness came from. It came from a couple of different places, but I think the biggest gift my parents gave me were not to give me a bunch. They made me get creative. You know, my sisters have different spending habits because their college was paid for, but I had to support myself. Where is, where are you putting your money right now? Your W-2 money. Okay. So 11% to 401k. And is that, do you get any sort of match for your 401k? 6%, 100% invested. I mean, vested. Yeah. So I do, um, yeah, it's through Merrill Lynch, 85% equity stock, 10% bonds, fixed income, 5% stable value. And then um, I do 11% Roth, 2% employee stock purchase plan. That's a 30% contribution rate if I take into account the 6% con- company match. And, um, you know, so half my, half my paycheck is being saved or to taxes. And then my fund money... Because I also own a rental property I don't, here I don't, near my we, home. Before you do that, yeah. can I ask you a question about the four hundred one k? Sure. Why the why the five percent stable value? I that, that, that's the one piece. I think I understand the rest of it. I don't understand five percent stable value. I don't either. I made that change about four months ago when I um, had just a kind of an informational with my mother's investor, and I was on one of these targeted retirement funds, and he said it was way too um, conservative. And that I needed to change my max, my match, I mean, my mix. So that's when I changed to 80% stock equity, 5% stable. Yeah, the rest of it, the rest of it, I get 5% stable value to me feels like 5% of your money is guaranteed over long periods of time, historically to lose out. Like, and and also people do 5% so that it kind of buoys them, but 5% is also not enough money to buoy you. I mean, five percent. If ninety-five percent of your investments go through the floor, five percent is not going to be enough. It's a little tiny life preserver. It's, it's, it's. It, I would, I would not have the. You know, this is not investment advice. This is just for entertainment purposes only. But I, I love being but, entertained. Tell me more. <laughs> but I just, I don't, I don't like the stable value fund. Well, your main goal, right, is to beat inflation. We got to kick inflation's butt over time. Otherwise, you're going to save dollar for dollar or even more to just keep up. And nobody's got that kind of money. So if you're going to beat inflation, you have to be in places that aren't stable um, over the short run, but give you much more promise over the long run, which historically the two types of investments that kick inflation's butt over long periods of time, equities, which are stocks and real estate. Those are, those are, those are your two pillars that do over long periods of time do about the same, by the way, when you're looking at big numbers like the North American REIT index and the S&P 500 end up at about the same place. Thank you. Where should I take that five? Where should I put the 5%? I I don't know. and, And I'm not being oblique. I don't know enough about if you're behind or if you're ahead, but what I would do, and I think part of the fun of this show, whenever I talk to Mindy and Scott is more about thinking about how to think which is figure out how much you're going to need at the end and then draw a line back to today. How much do I need to save today and what rate of return do I need to get there? 
And once you got those two numbers, then look at what historically in your 401k has done that over long periods of time. And that's, and and that's where you go. You just work backwards and it gets rid of all the guesswork. It also makes it so that, you know, there's all these different investment choices and you know, this Mindy, everybody gets all in their head worried about there's 5 million things. I got to No, You don't have to know everything about everything. You just got to know about these few things that fit your goal. So when you begin with the goal and work backwards, That'll that'll tell you where to put it. But historically, you know, I mean, just just offhand, anything in your 401k that is equities based and large companies are always going to be safer than small companies. But small companies over long periods of time, if you can withstand the roller coaster ride, historically have done better. People lately have not done international because international had its butt kicked the last 10 years by the U.S. stock market. But the 10 years before that, international smoked the U.S. If you had all your money in U.S. stocks the first part of this uh, of this uh, century, you, 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 you were hating life, you know. Um, but then the second, the last 10 years, people are like, why would I do international? There's no reason. Well, look at the first 10 years and you'll see that having some of each. So, um, yeah. Thank you for that. I'll take a closer look at that. We'll call this the research opportunity. So now you can look into what are options available through your 401k. Um, Where is your Roth money being invested? Mm, That's a good question. I have no clue. Okay. There's another research opportunity that I'm going to suggest (laughs) that you find out where that money is going. Okay. And is that where you want it to be? What I'm doing with my Roth is mainly index funds. The uh, Vanguard total stock market is VTSAX, and that is kind of the darling of all the personal finance people in the world. Um, I do the Fidelity version of that because I like Fidelity better than Vanguard. They have really great customer service. Um, I am not endorsing anybody. You should do your own, make another research opportunity. But okay, uh, definitely look at where you want it to be. I mean, I'm also really tech heavy. My husband is um, the main driver of our investments, and he is very into tech. He was excited about Google and Facebook of like a hundred years ago. Tesla, he bought a hundred years ago, and then we just came into some more money, and he threw the bulk of it into Tesla again because he believes in the company. He also literally reads every single thing about Tesla, listens to the That's Tesla awesome. podcast. Do you know they have a daily Tesla podcast? I know it because he talks about it every single day. (laughs) That's so funny. So if you, I don't want to do this level of research. If it was up to me, I would not have my money in Tesla because I don't have the time to do this kind of research. If you don't have the time or inclination, I don't have the inclination either. If you don't have the time or inclination to do this research, that doesn't make you a bad person. That just means you shouldn't be throwing your money into a specific stock that you don't know a lot about. So that's where index index Um, funds come in for me. And I am not endorsing Facebook, Google, Tesla, or any of the other um, ones. Only Turo. (laughs) Only the Turo. Turo. Are they a publicly traded company? I don't even know. Not yet. Ah, As soon as they go public. See, you know about the company. You had a great experience with them. I'm having an awesome experience. I'm having so much fun with that play money and I'm meeting nice people and it's the cars are paid for. They're depreciating value sitting in my driveway. There's a little bit of double dipping because through work, I get a car allowance as well. And it's not illegal for me to take that money, blah, blah, blah. Um, I did think about, I have a new tax lady and she told me the wedding business, it's not 
a hobby. I can't claim that I've lost money the last four years. We're going to get straight this year. So I thought about opening a SEP and then, you know, getting it, doing an LLC and then starting investing into a SEP. Another research opportunity is the difference okay. between uh, what is a SEP IRA? I can't remember. I know I chose the self-directed solo 401k because I am self-employed and have no other uh, full-time employees other than my spouse. So that was an option and there's more opportunity to put money in uh, tax deferred. And I did the research like five years ago. Joe, you're making a face like you don't believe me. No, I'm making a face because I'm uh, I'm, I'm I'm just making sure I have my facts right before oh, okay. I, I weigh in on this because I thought I had it right. And I do that with a SEP IRA, you can as an employer, you put money in as a with a simple IRA as an employee, you can you put money in now if. If you are the only person uh, working in in your company, really the one to look at between the SEP, the SEP and the simple is is the one that you can put in more money. With a simple, your contribution limit in 2020 or 2021 is 13,500 unless you are over 50 and then you can put in another 3,000 which brings that up to 16,500. With the SEP, you can put in 25% of an employee's salary or up or up to 57,000, whichever's less. So frankly, the SEP, you could put up to 57,000, but man, you'd be rocking it as an efficient if $57,000 is only one quarter of what you're making. I mean, you're, you're an efficient doing things in Vegas because you're so good. Well, I don't know if, and not at those little, not at those little wedding chapels, you're like the pen and teller of, of wedding officiants doing weddings at the Rio on the main stage. Oh, uh, you're funny. Yeah, it's so, about fourteen thousand dollars cash per year that I'm turning tax free because I'm not doing it right, um, and that's about five hours of week a week per week, you know, on average. Some months I have seven weddings, and it's very time consuming. The third one to look into oh, seven weddings. Yeah, that's that's a bunch. The third one to look into is a solo four hundred one k. Okay, that's the option that I have, and it's because there are no full-time employees other than me. So anybody that works for you can only work up to a thousand hours a year. And then you can still have this. Otherwise um, it's, you have to offer it to everybody that works for you and it doesn't work out as well if that's the case. Um, so, but I don't have any other employees. I'm a real estate agent. My husband has his own income through his uh, blog. So he has an opportunity to contribute up to 19,500 for this year. And once I turn 50 next year, I get an extra $1,000 uh, or no, $6,000, extra $6,000. I'm super excited for that. Um, and then there's also the opportunity for my company to match my contributions up to 25% of my salary. So what I take that to mean is that my 19500 is my salary. 25% of that is another like $4,000. So I am putting, an, I'm sorry, another $5,000. So I can put up to $24,500 into my Roth IRA. I'm sorry, into my self-directed solo 401k. There you go. Before I run into any sort of, uh, I, I, I don't have to pay any taxes on my income up to that contribution. And then it starts into more, which is actually something that I'm going to have to consider this year. So that's a good problem to have. 
I am going to put on my legal cap and say you should always work with a CPA or tax professional to make sure that you're paying your fair share of the taxes. I will, I promise. But it sounds like you're getting ready to do that this year. I am now that I'm like not in the, yeah, I'm making money on it. Now that it's not a hobby, now that it's an official income generation. And then the tourist stuff, I don't plan on, um, I want to cut it off and not do it over the winter and deal with people smashing my car in the snow. So I believe that they don't 1099 you unless you've done 200 trips or turned over $20,000. And right now I'm in the six or $7,000 range. So I'm just going to cut things off for the year once I hit, you know, closer to 20. But remember, you got to stay legal. <laughs> just, just make sure. Oh, just I'm staying sure legal, stay legal, right? If yeah, they, I don't want um, to go over that I'll, amount. I'll tell you, Stephanie, a great strategy because you have the W-2 income. You know, the more money you make from your side hustles, the bigger potentially these quarterly payments to the IRS can be. And Mindy, you know, quarterly payments to the IRS, they can be a pain in the butt, just an absolute pain trying to figure out where this monster amount of money is going to come from all at once. What's neat is working with your tax professional. What I might look at is over withhold from your W-2 job. Withhold way more there so that you don't have to worry about it with your side hustles. You're already That's smart. taking extra out. And then that the quarterly payment problem goes right out the window. So much, so much easier. Thank you. Yeah, I really like over withholding with my W-2 so I don't have to deal with yeah. all of that. Because that's, yeah, just it, you have to make the payment. If you don't make it right or you don't make enough, then they get mad at you and Oh, the first time I did that, I was 17 working for a woman and she didn't W2 me. She 1099'd me. And the first year, everything worked out. The second year, I got hit with a huge tax bill. I'm like, I'm 18 years old. I don't know anything about this. Why would I? I had the same thing early, early in my career, Mindy. I had the same problem. I owed the IRS a bunch of money that I did not really owe them because of the fact that I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, Ah, Very frustrating. No, I owed them. So I owed them fines. I didn't even owe them money. I just owed them fines, which made me very angry. I owed them money and fines. It was yeah. it was ugly. Mm. But because I didn't know how to do the accounting or to look up uh, uh, what I could really write off, right? All the things that I was eligible for, all the the uh, perks of being an, a business owner, I, I didn't write off so many of the things that I could have written off. So frustrating. And this is where a tax professional can save you oodles of money. They're, yes, they charge a fee, but the money that they can save you can be really huge. So Yeah, and just, just on that note, Mindy, it's got to be the right one because I had a tax professional, but my tax professional just kind of prepared the stuff and said, oh, Joe, you owe, I don't even remember the number, $17,000. And I remember looking at this guy, Bill, and going, Bill, these are due tomorrow. Where the hell am I going to find a bank to rob to come up with 17,000 bucks? <laughs> like seriously. And and then I had oh, to hire, a, but I learned my lesson. And then I started working with this woman, Sue, who was much more of a teacher. And she sat me down and she taught me what I could do and how the business is so much, but it's got to be somebody that, that will I teach you how Sue. it works. Yeah. That's so, it doesn't good. pay for itself. Stephanie It's so good. Yeah. I, I found a Sue and my sister is married to a tax accountant. And so I can ask him the non-Sue questions, the hypotheticals, and then I go to her so we can keep things clean. Just what he wants at Thanksgiving is sitting <laughs> next to Stephanie, who's getting all the free advice. He likes talking. He's I remember awesome. when, I, when I was a financial planner, I get cornered by a family member and I was always like, oh, crap. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't do that. If you were a dermatologist, I wouldn't be like, hey, can you look at this? <laughs> That's right. Check out this mole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would. Right, Stephanie, I'm super excited about this because I've been waiting to take over for Scott for a while because it's time for the famous four. Great. Oh, okay. I'm going to highlight the ones that you have to ask, Joe, and I am going to ask the ones that I always ask because you're playing the oh, part Scott this can be today. Not I don't know enough. I don't know enough. I'm not quick enough with the puns to be Scott. I tried to get ready for that and I'll apologize to everybody because <gasps> I don't have the bad puns ready. See, there would have been a pun there, <laughs> but I can't think of it fast enough. Yeah, I wasted all of my good puns when Joe first jumped on the call today. If you look over his right shoulder, you can see a giant $100 bill. And I said, you can't, you know, I'm going to turn you into the Secret Service. You can't make fake money. And he said, yeah, I'm going to take it down to the 7-Eleven. <laughs> he said, yeah, I'm going to take it down to the 7-Eleven. And I'm like, oh, do you think they'll have change for such a large bill? <laughs> wow, that was the fakest laugh ever, Joe. Come on, that was funny it when was I said great. it the first time. Okay, That was like the golf clap. Uh, <sighs> well, you're never joining me again. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. Stephanie. Let's talk about your famous four questions. What is your favorite finance book? Um, well, it used to be um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but I met within the last um, month two wealth management professionals out of New York City, and I'm marrying them in December as their wedding officiate. And they are such a hoot. And the groom is from Louisiana, which is where I'm from. And he just has this dynamic personality. And he totally told me about his book that's sold on Amazon. And it's called Get Your Money Right, An Insider's Guide to Simplified Wealth by Michael Hanna. And I started reading it over the weekend when I got it. And it's hysterical. He quotes everything from Jay-Z to Bob Marley and Einstein from <laughs> earlier. But the book is all about the real financial benefit of a job is to earn enough money to save and invest and have those investments create passive income. And I just, I love it. It's simplified and he peppers the boring tax talk and the, um, you know, things like that with quotes from Bob Marley, such as live for yourself and you will be, um, you will live in vain, live for others and you will live again. So I don't know. He's just really straightforward and funny and I'm geeking out on it. But um, that's my favorite finance book right now. And um, I did. I got to tell you, I read a book in 2014 called Nickeled and Dimed by Barbara Elrinich. And it was the story of low wage workers working three different jobs and living in hotels and cleaning hotels. I remember hotels. this book. It was excellent and it scared the, it scared me. And I not only leave great tips in hotels and pre-clean the room before they come, but I am so thankful that I've never had to work low paying jobs like that. I've had the confidence to go after the other jobs. And so I've always kept that one in mind. It's giving me the chill bumps right now. It's a good book. Nickeled and dimed. Awesome. Stephanie, what's your, what is your biggest money mistake? All right. I touched on this when I bought the the house in Norwood with um, a tele skier. I thought it was like a good idea because he was an electrician and I was creative. But owning a house with someone who had different financial vision and different money at different times, it just never it just never worked out. I couldn't do the improvements. So anyway, it was a tax write off, I think, for, for 10 years that we created affordable housing for um, his stoner electrician friends, but 
I'll never buy a house with someone that I'm not married with. And even if I was married right now, I probably wouldn't buy a house with them anyway, even though I loved them. I think you got to keep some things separated. But that was a good lesson, and I learned a ton about that. That's my um, biggest money mistake. Okay, I love that. I'll never buy a house with someone I'm not married to. I see a lot of people asking this question in the Bigger Pockets forums and the Facebook groups, and every answer is always the same. Don't do it because nope. You need an exit strategy and whew, it gets real messy. And don't real even quick. get a dog with them. No, don't do any. Got to keep it separated. <laughs> <laughs> the offspring. Okay. I just want to go down, 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 down. Every time you say that. <laughs> you got to keep it separated. Yes. Okay. This is fun. Stephanie, what is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? Avoid paying full retail. Treat savings like a game, get creative, make connections, and make people's lives easier. Be grateful. Um, I just think we're all in it, and I don't want to be working forever. So I've never, like, felt like I needed, you know, the best of the best or, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I guess it really all comes down to pick your friends wisely, and I have friends that have their heads screwed on correctly, and they value camping and going on, you know, creative trips instead of, you know, these dumb, all-inclusive, you know, boring vacations. And anyway, I love also so when we're you happy having about, cocktails on the deck, you know, instead of. Well, even when you talked about in your career, surrounding yourself with the right people, about working for the people that were moving and some of the things you learned from those bosses. I find that uh, working with the right, you know, you could be at a desk working for a person A and this whole company stinks because you work for that person. But then you move over to a different department. You work with somebody who's empowering and, and helpful and the whole the whole culture seems to change. So love, love that. But the Thank most you. important yeah. question of all, Stephanie, ready? So you're at a Bigger Pockets money party with Mindy and I, and we're hanging out with us and all the other Bigger Pockets peeps. What's your favorite joke that you'd spring on us? Well, you, I already told you those jokes and they're not very politically correct. You can't. So I'll give you my clean joke. I didn't and even, it's a shout out to not my only were they not politically dog. correct. Wait a minute. Not only were they not politically correct, they were horrible. They were horrible. <laughs> they were bad on so many levels. So this is a nice clean joke that I got from the internet. It's a shout out to my Bernie's Mountain Dog Zaidi. What's the best thing about Switzerland? Oh, boy. Talk I don't know, but the flag is a big plus. <laughs> <laughs> See, there it is. Mindy lost oh, it. That's nice job. good. That's funny. That was, way, that was way better than the other two. <laughs> I, was, I had so much fun with y'all. I just want this call to go on forever, but I know you have a lot of editing since I'm such a talker. <laughs> no, we don't have very much editing at all. Just the, uh, there's a couple of things where we had to take a break to uh, look things up and everything else is going to be in here because this is a lot of fun. Stephanie, where can people find out more about you? Um, well, after this call, I hope I don't go to federal prison for tax evasion, but <laughs> Um, I'm Stephanie Randolph Warner on Facebook. I don't do Instagram or any of that stuff. And, um, you know, if you want to get married or divorced, you can contact me and I can perform your wedding in Telluride or surrounding ski areas. But, um, yeah, that's how you can get in touch with me if you want to stalk me or hear <laughs> my dirty jokes. Yeah. Don't find stalk out what me those now. other jokes are. Yeah. Find out those jokes that we wouldn't publish. 
Right. Stephanie, thank you so much. Stephanie, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for your time today. And we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Okay, that was Stephanie Warner, side hustle queen. Joe, what so did you think many. of Stephanie's story? I thought there's so many lessons there. And, and, and I think the biggest lesson, and I know we covered a little bit at the top, but thinking very critically about about other ways that you can hustle ways that you can make money and not having, you know, she, she, I didn't want to let her off the hook when she said that it was the company's fault that she had money. It's not the company's fault. It's your fault. And don't get me wrong, finding the right company to work with and, and getting that opportunity and working for a company that provided the right stuff is part of the equation. But you've got to meet them part way, Mindy. It's always about you taking advantage of it. Absolutely. You have to do the work just because it's there doesn't mean you're going to do anything with it yeah. unless you do something with it. You can't reap the benefits if you don't go out and snatch the opportunity. Yeah. And how about you? Your big takeaway? I... Just love that she has such an open mind. She hates debt, which is awesome. Her whole job, her whole uh, career has not been focused on how much money can I make? How much can I grow my wealth? But she has been conscious of not collecting consumer debt. And that's a huge leg up. Once she discovered that she could start growing her wealth, she did it. She took advantage of every opportunity. She went out and created opportunities. How many people do you know who have been presented with an idea? Oh, I could never do that. I don't think yeah. she's ever said I could never do that in her whole life. And that is the difference between being able to retire early and working for the man for the rest of your life is That's, taking the opportunities and looking for them. I'm a hundred percent with you there on, on hating debt. And I felt that the whole time she was talking that the reason for her to uh, do all these side hustles was less about actually less about getting ahead or being super wealthy as it was. I don't want to be in this place where I have to ever go into debt. And I found that so so uh, inspirational, especially since we're surrounded by people all the time that I don't feel like have any any fear of debt. Like, oh, it's only a 25 percent interest rate. That's fine. No, it's not fine. <laughs> it, it's, and I also found it very telling that she said, I live paycheck to paycheck. And then she explained to you and I, Mindy, how she doesn't live paycheck to paycheck. And she hasn't in a long time, but in her head, she's living on a shoestring while she's paying her bill to her credit card every third day. Are you kidding me? It's fantastic. It was great. I love that mentality. Oh, I live paycheck to paycheck. No, not even close. But no. that mentality keeps her from, and the, the whole I don't want debt thing keeps her from just blowing through all this money. She's going to be so rich. She's going to never have to work a real job again when all of these side hustles generate all the money that she needs to live. And then she socks away all of her actual income into her investments and her uh, her paycheck to paycheck life. Yeah, right. I love it. I I get the feeling, though, that she really likes her <laughs> W-2 job. And how great is that, right? That she would be in a position where she's not there for those awesome benefits that they give her. She's not there because she has to be there because she's got plenty of side hustle money coming in. She's only there because it feeds her somehow. And by feeds her, I don't mean 
monetarily. I mean, it just feeds her existence that she loves being there. So, and, and I, I did get that feeling from her though. I think she'll stay at her W2 for a long time because she feels needed. I think we all have this need to feel needed. I, you know what? That's a really great point, Joe. I think she will stay at her W2 for a long time. And that's great. Having a job where you get up in the morning and you're like, yay, I get to go to work. is such a better experience than having a job where you get up in the morning. You're like, Ugh, what can I do? How late can I be there and still not get fired? I hate my life. You know, what's interesting about that. And, and, and obviously we don't want to belabor this point, but I, I have talked to lots of parents that go, I never want my kids to have bad jobs. And I sometimes think that the thing that really feeds me now is the fact that I have had really crappy jobs and I know what a crappy job is. And I think there's some value in building. I had to build radiation walls. I worked at McDonald's. I worked in cornfields. Like, I don't want to do any of those again. I, I loaded a chicken truck like that was absolutely oh. horrible. But but having those bad jobs and Stephanie certainly had a bunch of bad jobs. And I think it I think that's partly what helped her realize that she has these awesome benefits available to her. I agree, Joe. I think that's a good point. I I do think you should spend your teenage years having bad jobs so that you can make decisions. Oh, you know what? We're we're interviewing and you're saying this. I know that I don't want to do that anymore. Or, hey, that sounds like a challenge that I don't want. There's a lot of things you can learn from having these bad jobs. So I think when you are a teenager, when you're living at home with your parents, when you're not responsible for other human beings, go and get those life experiences so you know what you're not looking for in the future. But yeah, once you find a job that you love, stay there. There's no, there's there's nothing wrong with having a job you love. The, the whole RE part of fire, retire early, shouldn't be the focus. It should be the financially independent part. And then when you can have this amazing job, if you enjoy it, you can stay. That's okay. Yeah. More FIO, like FI opportunity, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love all these new acronyms. Everybody Is it FIO or FIO? FIO. There we go. Financially FIO, independent. Yo. Lots of opportunities. FILO. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joe, we're going to go crazy. Uh, I need you, Joe, to tell me what's going on in your little world. Oh, I have a book coming out at the end of December called Stacked, which is uh, your super serious guide to modern money management. And I think it is two things. It's a very smart book, but it's put together in a way that is very, very, very fun. It's kind of the Cub Scout wolf guide meets the Hardy Boys detective manual for adults and about money. So, uh, Pre-orders are super important to anybody who's a publisher, uh, an author, I mean, not a publisher, uh, for anybody who's an author, rather, uh, stackybedjamins.com forward slash stacked. And hopefully, you know, I don't know if people know how this works, but if enough people pre-order it, we we make the Amazon list or maybe the, the Wall Street Journal list, or God forbid we make the... We make the big list, the New York Times bestsellers. But but please, if you're if you know somebody that really needs... A Guide to Money, coming out December 28th. Please pre-order it. Yes, Joe is an incredibly intelligent person. He wrote this book all by himself, Joe, or did you I have did an even smarter co-host, co-author? Wait, wait, wait. So you, you look at me. Do you think I could write that by myself? I actually did write <laughs> half of it, and I'm very proud of the half that I wrote. Uh, but I wrote it with Emily Guy Birkin, who's a mutual friend of ours. And Emily has written five books that you'll find on, on uh, store shelves. And her biggest is The Five Years Before You Retire. 
which a lot of people may have read or have seen, at least seen. So Emily Guy Birkin and I wrote this one. It was a ton of fun. I can't wait to read this book. <clears throat> and where can I get it again? Stackingbenjamins.com slash Stacked. Stacked. S-T-A-C-K-E-D. And that'll give you all the different places. If you want to go to an indie bookstore, we've got the bookshop link, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all the different places. Awesome. Joe, thank you so much for being Scott today. I appreciate you stepping in and filling his shoes. You did an excellent job. I don't feel like I at all can do Scott any Yeah, not at all. But thank you for having me. And it was a ton of fun. You do need to work on your pun game because he's definitely better than that at you. (laughs) He's totally better. Better than you at that. Uh, I am good at flubbing my tongue. So there we go. Okay, Joe, should we get out of here? Absolutely. From episode 239 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Joe Saul Seahigh and I am Indy Jensen saying adieu, cockatoo. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.